right. Hey, good morning, Three Circle. Great to be with you guys. All of our campuses, man, we have had an incredible day. And the day's just going to keep getting better. We got baptisms this afternoon down at the beach. It's going to be, I think we got over 70 people right now that are going to be baptized at the beach. It's going to be an incredible day. We're so excited about, uh, about all that God is all that God is doing. So really, really good stuff. Uh, before we jump into week two of Kudzu, uh, just want to tell everyone, listen, as a church, we've got so much going. Uh, new campus launched last week. We're blown away by it all. But when we grow and when we do things and all of our campuses are growing, um, it means that we've got we've to stay ahead of that. And there's a lot of things we really need to do as a church right now. And so we want to tell you all about these really exciting plans that we have for the next few years so that you can be a part of it, to tell you what we're going to try to do do, how we're going to try to do it, and how we can all be a part of it together. To tell you about that, we're doing a series of vision nights, okay? You can find out about those in your handout that you have, a way that every single person could be at a vision night. And I would love if every single one of you could make it to one of the vision nights so that you can see what we're trying to do and how we're going to go about doing that. I can't wait for you to see what all is going to happen and the plans that we think uh, are ahead of us. We're excited about it. Uh, but we need your help and we need you to be a part of it. So check that out. Please sign up for one. There's options so that everyone can be at one and it'll be really great. So today we're gonna jump into kudzu part two. And if you weren't here for week one, you may be wondering, now why are we talking about an invasive weed at church? Like, why are we doing that? And so I want you to understand what this is all about. So kudzu came from Japan. Our, our dear brothers and sisters sent it over to us, but really it's not their fault. The, our, the US government thought we needed it. And they brought this thing over to help with erosion. Well, when they planted it, in particular, all the way across the south, it just took off. And it grows a foot a day in perfect conditions, uh, which we happen to have perfect conditions for it in the south. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. You can't mow the stuff. It'll just come back. You can't bush hog it. It'll just come right back. In fact, if you, if you bush hog too slow, the stuff will grow over you and the tractor while you're trying, okay? It just keeps on going. And, and when you look at kudzu and how it works, we thought, now that is exactly how it works in our own lives. There are things the Bible warns us about that if we don't get control of it, it will get control of us. And we're looking at things that do that in our lives. And by the way, let me just tell you, every one of these we all deal with, okay, at some level. And all of these I deal with. So look, I know I'm the pastor and all that, but I'm also just your brother in Christ. And so the only reason there's a stage of me standing up a little higher is so that we, you can see me while I'm teaching because that's it. I'm just a dude with a Bible. And so I'm telling you this morning, when I prayed, I prayed, Lord, please don't let the people at Three Circle think that I've got this down. I want you to know I'm in the boat with you. Are you cool with me learning with you? Like while I teach, I'm learning with you. All good with that? Like we're all in the boat together. So we all need this. So last week we talked about insecurity. We all are insecure at some level. It's a kudzu vine that just grows in our lives. And only Jesus, by the power of the gospel, can uproot it. But also, we're going to deal with one today that we all deal with, and it's the issue of unforgiveness. It's the spiritual kudzu vine of unforgiveness. There's physical kudzu and there's spiritual kudzu. You can write this down. Unforgiveness is a form of spiritual kudzu that can wreak havoc in our lives. It can be terrible what it can do. It can really turn our lives upside down. Now, Understand that Jesus taught us that as humans, we have a physical part of our lives and a spiritual part of our lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first three are all invisible. They're spiritual in nature. And the Bible says that we should guard our hearts, souls, and minds above all else 
But what we do typically is we tend to guard our exterior of our lives more than we do the inside. We work out, we try to eat the right foods, we try to do all of that stuff, but we ignore our hearts, our souls, and our minds. Well, that's where the spiritual kudzu grows. That's where insecurity grows. And today we're going to see that's where unforgiveness grows. Now, let's go to the Bible and let the word of God speak to us today on this subject. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. It's known now as the book of Ephesians. And he says this in verse 31 of chapter four. Let all, how much? All. And then he's gonna give you a list of things that come from the root of unforgiveness. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. And then if you have a pen, you wanna circle or underline, let it be put away. That's an important phrase. Let it be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. So instead of those things, here's the opposite. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and here's the phrase, forgiving one another. And here's why. Love this verse tells you not what not to do, what to do, and then it tells you why you should do this. Because God and Christ forgave you. Now, how many of you, that is your story today, your gospel story. God and Christ Jesus has forgiven you, right? Oh, come on now. We're going to have to talk to each other a little bit today, <laughs> right? So therefore, we must forgive. He has forgiven us, so we must forgive. Now, that phrase, put away, is an important phrase that I had you circle in the Greek. It's an important phrase. I heard a pastor years ago give this great illustration, and I was like, yes, that's it, because he was trying to explain what does the Greek language really say in here, and I'll tell you exactly what it's saying, and, and those of you who are like me will really get this. Have you ever been walking through the woods or the backyard or under a building or whatever, and you walk through one of these? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what I thought. Now, that is known as a banana spider, and people will tell you, they're harmless. No, they are not. There's no way something that looks like that is harmless. That's a, that's a creature that wants to take humanity out. I believe it with all of my heart. Okay, so you've all walked through their web, they, 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 these big webs. And by the way, this is the time of year. Just last week, I went to some beautiful property with a good friend of mine, and I walked through one of these things. I walked in, he was warm, I walked through one, okay? And let me tell you what I did. I did not say, hey, no problem, let's keep walking and I'll take care of this later on. No, no, no. When I knew what I had walked through, something took over me. It's violent. I'm ripping that thing off of me. If you would have been near me, I would have harmed you. Not intentionally. When the Bible says put away, that's what it's saying. Like you would try to get a spider web off of you because you know that creature is on me somewhere. That's what the Bible's saying you should do with unforgiveness and all the things that come from it. Malice, anger, slander, bitterness. You need to get that stuff off of you because it's bad. And you know what's bad about walking through one of these? For six hours, you still think he's on you. You know what I mean? You'd be going down the road, and there he is again, right? It's powerful. Okay. I'm not sure why the Lord made them, but I know he, maybe it was just, hey, this will be funny. <laughs> Watch what they do when they walk through these things. So that phrase put away means these four things. You can write them down. Number one, intentionally put them away. Forcefully, immediately, and permanently. Intentionally is that first one. What intentional means is you're gonna have to do something about 
unforgiveness in your life. It will not fix itself. It will not just get better. You know that, that old phrase, all wounds will heal over time. Time heals all wounds. No, it does not. That is not true. You're going to have to get intentional about unforgiveness. Let me tell you what unforgiveness is. It is a prison that we build for ourselves. We build prisons of unforgiveness that we weren't meant to live in. So you're going to have to get intentional about tearing that down forcefully. Let me tell you what. I exerted quite a bit of force to get away from that spider and that web that was on me. I do not like that. It was forceful. It was immediate. Hey, don't wait around. Don't wait around and say, one day I'll deal with this. One day I'll handle this. Because time is not on your side when it comes to the kudzu of unforgiveness. You let kudzu grow long and you got a problem on your hand that a herd of a thousand goats won't be able to solve for you, man. I mean, kudzu's tough. Don't let it get out of hand or you will not be able to control it. That is the truth for unforgiveness. The longer you let it sit, look what Paul warns you. It will become other things. You think unforgiveness is no big deal until you become bitter and toxic as a person and you don't have any joy anymore, and you can't go on Facebook without being mean and angry about everything because you're living in a prison you weren't meant to live in. And then permanently, and this is the hardest one, because see, the thing about kudzu is you mow it, it's back the next day. You bush hog it, it's back the next day. You got to get under the roots. And that is what only Jesus can do in our lives. Because you may... Make yourself feel a little better about a situation. And let's be honest. We all deal with unforgiveness, and here's why. Because we've all been hurt. I don't want to uh, minimize your experiences at all. If you live this life long, you will be hurt. You will be lied about. You'll be slandered. You will have people tear you apart. Some of you have had horrific things happen in your life. You've been walked out on. You've been cheated on. You've been uh, extorted. You, you've had people totally ruin your reputation. You've had bad, bad, bad stuff happen to you. So there's real pain, and I don't minimize that. And by the way, God would never minimize your pain either. The act of forgiveness is not a minimization of your experience. It is a solution. It is a path for you to find freedom. That's what it is. So Jesus dealt with this as well. Paul has given us beautiful theology here. He tells us that the reason we should do this is because we've been forgiven. Jesus is going to say the same thing. And in Matthew 18, Jesus is going to give a parable. And when, when Jesus gave a parable, it was just a story. It was a story to teach us a lesson. He was a master storyteller. And the story he's going to tell us today is famously known as the unforgiving servant. But let me tell you right out of the gate what this parable is primarily going to show us. It shows you what your unforgiveness looks like to God. So let's dive in and see what it says. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. I know this is going to surprise you, but it begins with Peter talking. As he normally does. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now let's just pause. First of all, you need to know that this didn't come out of nowhere the Pharisee system, the way the Pharisees had taught and Peter had grown up in that world is that there was a limit to forgiving people and seven was about a good number. It took God seven days to create the world. Uh, so that, that worked just fine. It was kind of an arbitrary number that ended up in the Mishnah and the, 
the uh, tradition of the elders. We talked about that a little bit last week, their little book of rules. and It's just kind of something that was a part of that culture. So Peter comes to Jesus, and he wants Jesus to clarify, is that right? And I got a hunch that Peter was not looking for Jesus to crank it up, but to crank it down, right? Like, I think Peter's hoping he's going to go, not seven, more like three. That is not the answer he got, Jesus said to him, verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. To which I'm sure Peter said, sorry, I asked. 77 times. What he's saying is, you don't stop. There is no line in the sand. You don't stop forgiving, Peter. I'm sure Peter probably said out loud, I can't do that. To which John, the perpetual teacher's pet probably said, I think I can, to which Thomas probably said, I doubt either one of y'all can. I'm here every week with these jokes, every single week. I'm sure the disciples were stunned by what they heard, rightfully so, 70, like we never stop forgiving. Surely there's a line. Jesus said, no, there's not a line. And he could see on their faces, their look of uh, incredulity. They, they, they can't believe that he would demand such things. I'm sure we do too. We look at it and we're like, we can't forgive like that. So Jesus tells a story. He says, you know what you need? You need a good story to help you understand why I'm telling you to never stop forgiving. So here's his story, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. Now, before we go any further, I want you to know who the characters are. The king is God. The servant who's gonna be forgiven of so much by the king, that's all of us who are believers. So everybody who's a believer say, that's me. Okay, now you know, the king's God and you're that servant. Right, here we go again, okay? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Church, that is an incalculable amount of money. It'd be like me saying to you a trillion dollars. In 40 lifetimes, you wouldn't be able to pay it back. It's impossible to even comprehend how much that debt was. And he owed it. To the king. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, how many of you that is your story with God? You owed an incalculable debt of sin and you could not pay it on your own, right? It's the gospel. So since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now let me make clear, that sounds harsh. That is not harsh. That is just. That's just justice. Pay what you owe. You owe me all of this. Doesn't matter how much it is, you must pay. Because God is a holy God. He's righteous. He can't just make it go away. You have to pay. It has to be made right. The account has to be made right. So he's just doing what justice demands. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Wait a minute. Now let's just stop there. Can that servant pay him back? Didn't we just say? He can't pay him back. And isn't that our story too? That's why I said the servants, all of us. Haven't we all gone to God making our, uh, our little agreements with him? Lord, if you'll do this, I will. What if God held you accountable right now for every one of those little agreements you made with him? I mean, I used to go to church camp and come back and I'm like, Lord, I will read my Bible every morning and every night. And I am, you know, like halfway through the first week of school, man, I had fallen off the tracks. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So this servant cannot pay him back. He's making promises he cannot keep, but yet 
there's grace. Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant, watch this, this is our story, released him and forgave him the debt. You're free and you don't owe me anymore. How awesome is that? Like church, don't, that is your story. If you're a Christian today, you owed God a debt you could never pay and he set you free and also says you don't ever have to pay him a dime. You don't owe him anything. That is grace, church. That's grace that if you're a Christian, you've experienced, it's been extended to you, that kind of grace, unending grace, unmerited grace, unfathomable grace is what we have gotten from God. And he forgave him and set him free. Amazing, isn't it? Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which by the way is not very much. That's not that big of a deal. Especially compared to what he had owed that king. But he seized him and he began to choke him and he said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. So they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you and should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Boy, he swung that hammer hard in the end, didn't he? Now what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that if you are truly a Christian and a child of God and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you will not be able to live in continual unforgiveness. God's gonna root that out of you by the power of the gospel. He's going to do it. He's not going to let you stay that way. He's not going to leave you in that prison you've built for yourself of unforgiveness. But we have to lean into that. We're going to have to take intentional measures. So this is a stunning parable. It's a powerful story. Let's learn the lesson. Number one, this parable shows us God's view of our unforgiveness. This is what it looks like to God. What does it look like when we hold grudges, when we are bitter, when we are angry and we won't stop being angry, when we live year after year after year with hatred and disdain for other humans, what does God see? He sees pettiness because he knows what he's forgiven us of. We look like that servant. God looks at all of us. Remember church, you're never gonna forgive anyone of more than God has forgiven you. You're not going to outforgive God. You can never look at God and go, yeah, you don't know how hard this is. Hello? Now, he does know how hard it is and went through it and modeled what he has demanded from us. That's how God sees it. God is disgusted with our pettiness and with our hatred and disdain. I look sometimes on social media and it kills me to see people who have built prisons of anger and bitterness and toxicity for their own lives. You can see it. They can't get past it. It's forever. They've allowed whatever happened to them to become their story forever instead of letting God rewrite the story 
The second thing you need to understand is Jesus teaches radical forgiveness and grace because that's what's been extended to us. That's what he says. That's what Paul said. Here's why you should do it. Get it off of you because Christ forgave you. Uh, This parable, Jesus says, the king says, because I forgave you, you should have forgiven him, right? You should have extended that same mercy. People who've received mercy should be merciful people. People who've received grace should be people full of grace. So we should be. It is radical. It is hard. But it is what is demanded of us who have been recipients of his grace. Can you imagine? Remember, who, who is the original audience of this? Who are the people who heard this for the first time? Who are they? The disciples, right? Now, the disciples are hearing this and Later on, they will see Jesus model this. They'll hear about it at least. Only one of them actually saw it. If you remember, when Jesus was arrested, the disciples ran for their lives. Only one disciple went all the way to the cross, and it was the youngest one. It was John. The rest of them ran. So have you ever thought about what happened after the crucifixion? It's not recorded for us, but we can fill in some blanks. John eventually had to leave the scene of the crucifixion and go back to where the disciples were. And he went to them. And don't you know that those men looked at him and said, what happened? They had been hearing. They knew where things were headed. And they knew the horrors of a Roman crucifixion and execution. So they look at John, this young man, and ask him to tell them what happened. He has to report. Can you imagine John telling the story about what happened that day? As he looks at them and says, you won't believe this. But while they were swinging the hammers... In between his cries of agony, we could hear him praying. And our Lord, with nails running through his hands and his feet, started praying for the very ones swinging the hammers. Can you imagine this young man, hands shaking, heart beating out of his chest, tears flowing down his face, looking at those older brothers of his and saying, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He forgave them over and over again, crying out in agony and yet saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And can you imagine as he said, oh, and and at the end of the day when he finally died, after six hours of hanging there, one of those men, one of those executioners who had the hammer and nails in his hands was so moved by what he had saw and heard that he publicly walked over to the dead body of Jesus and pointed to it and said, that's got to be the son of God. Surely, surely. I've never seen any, I've crucified a lot of people. I've hung hung a lot of men on crosses and I've never had one look at me while I'm nailing him to the beam and say, forgiven, never. That's the son of God. See church, that is how radical Forgiveness is. That is how radical grace is. And when we extend it and live it, that which we have received, we are not unaware of the power of grace because we've experienced it. And when we learn how to extend it in our lives, folks, we become a light shining in the darkness so bright that it's impossible to miss it. It's powerful, grace, forgiveness. When we experienced it, it changed us. When we extend it, it will change the world around us. So what is it? As compelling as all that is, what is forgiveness really? And see, I think here is where many of us become reticent to extend forgiveness because we think 
that forgiveness is saying everything's okay. It's almost like if I forgive them, I'm saying what they did to me is okay. And folks, that is not what forgiveness is. God's not asking you to say that the abuse you went through, the horrors you experienced, the abandonment you faced, the pain you still carry, he's not saying for you to say that's okay. What he is saying is for you to be set free, you're going to have to learn to forgive. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is canceling the debt. It's saying you don't owe me anymore. But what forgiveness is not is ignoring the reality of that offense. Forgiveness doesn't say it's all okay. It just says you don't owe me anymore. You can't pay me anyway. I mean, if a spouse walked out on you, tell me how they can pay you back. How are they ever going to repay that debt? They can't. It's unpayable. So you are going to live with that forever if you don't cancel that debt. It's not you saying it's okay that you abused me. It's not okay that you lied about me. It's not okay. It's not you saying it's okay that you destroyed my reputation, whatever it is, whatever your story is. What it is saying is that you're not going to carry the weight of it one step further. That you refuse to live in a prison that's not meant for you to live in. I'm not sure who to attribute it to because the quote has had so many iterations over the years. But a famous quote about this is this one. Not original to me. And it's this. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that it kills someone else. It's like you drinking the poison and hoping that it'll kill someone else. That's what unforgiveness does in our hearts. It grows like kudzu. It chokes us out. The other thing you need to understand is forgiveness requires extending grace. It is costly. It is hard. It'll take everything you got and more. That's why only God can do this through you. But it does not require, watch this, continued exposure to the toxic conditions. What we're not saying is for you to stay in a toxic situation and continue to let yourself just get run over and beat up. That's not forgiveness. No, forgiveness is, is, is not trust. Again, automatically, forgiveness is not any of that. Forgiveness is canceling the debt. So if, if you malign me and lie about me and steal from me and I can't trust you, God's saying, Chris, you don't carry that weight. That'll become a prison in your heart. It'll become bitterness. So God commands me because I'm a recipient of grace to extend it and go, hey, I love you, I'm praying for you, and you don't owe me. I'm not holding this against you anymore. But I'm also not gonna be your best friend. Does that make sense, church? I'm also not gonna go, you know, I mean, if you lie to me a hundred times, I'm not gonna believe you anymore. That's not unforgiveness. It just means I'm not stupid. <laughs> make sense? But let me tell you what I can't do. I can't let that kudzu keep growing in my heart. Because if I don't cancel your debt, I'm not free. I'm not free. It's the difference, and I grew up with both of these in the environment I grew up in. I grew up with rivers and ponds. The property I was on had several ponds, and it went down to a river. I didn't have a pool growing up. I had a sandbar. Can I get an amen from the country? <laughs> with a rope swing and everything. All right, it was awesome. So I had ponds and rivers. Let me tell you the difference. Look at this. This is a beautiful picture of a pond. And let me tell you, if you want to have some fun, you see those lily pads, what you do is you take your fishing rod and you, and you get a lure. It's a topwater lure. Some of you fishermen know what I'm talking about, a little frog. And you just pull that frog over the top of those lily pads and there's a big, you know, four or five pound bass living underneath there and he's going to explode and 
Anyway, I'm preaching a sermon, not talking about fishing. But anyway, I just want you all to know how fun that is. And that's for free. That's just me helping you live a better life, okay? But let me tell you what not to do. Do not drink that water. Do not drink that water. And I would, I would suggest not swimming in it. I grew up jumping in ponds like that swimming, and that's probably what's wrong with me. There's, there's no telling what I got. Some of you are like, explains a lot. It's beautiful. It is a cesspool for bacteria. There's all kinds of stuff growing in there. It's really good for fish to grow, not good for you to drink because it's not clean. It's not clean, and here's why. Let me tell you why. Because that water is setting still. It's not moving. And since it's not moving, the same way in your spiritual life, anger and unforgiveness will not, listen, as it sits there, it festers, it becomes infected, it becomes bitter and toxic. So what you want for your spiritual life, for your heart, soul, and mind is for it to look more like this. You want running water. Get it moving. Get it moving. Don't just suppress it. Deal with it. Have the hard conversation. Write the letter. Some of you are still angry and unforgiving and it owns you with dead people. And I'm not joking. Some of you, your parent, your mom or your dad hurt you so deeply and then they died. You never had the conversation. And you still ride down the road sometimes and have imaginary conversations with a dead person. Everything you wish you could tell them. Can I tell you something? Because I love you. You're living in a prison that God does not want you to stay in. I don't know how to help you except to tell you, you may need to write a letter and go to the cemetery and lay it on a grave and say, you don't owe me anymore. I'm not living like this anymore. Some of us need to do it in our marriages. Some of us need to do it in our relationships. We need to let go because we're living in prisons we were not meant to live in. Because listen, I want you to understand this. Jimmy Evans, a great speaker, says this, forgiveness doesn't make them right, but it makes you free. Forgiveness doesn't make them right, makes you free. So much truth in that. One more thing I want you to understand about how powerful this is. Failure to forgive always allows others to control your narrative rather than God. You're allowing other people to control you. You can't even enjoy life. Some of you can't enjoy church now because you got hurt in church back then. Some of you can't have a relationship now because of what happened in that relationship back then. You're in a prison. Let God set you free from that. But the only way to do that is to get the forgiveness wheel rolling. Get the water of your heart moving. Don't, don't just suppress it. Deal with it. Get under the root system of that kudzu growing in your life. But it's hard. It was also hard for Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom. You may have heard that name. She became pretty famous. Wrote some books. Incredible speaker. She and her beautiful sister, when they were young ladies, were captured by the Nazis. And they went to a concentration camp. And it was horrific. Her stories are, are terrible, truly. In that camp... There was Nazi guards who tortured them and did unspeakable things to them. One in particular, one Nazi guard in particular was wicked and evil, sadistic. Corey Ten Boom survived the Holocaust and the cruelty of this guard, but her sister did not. Her beloved sister died right there in that camp. And that guard was instrumental in her death and her torture and her pain. 
Corey Ten Boom years later was speaking at an event when she ran into that guard. That guard. That guard survived the Nuremberg trials, somehow didn't get imprisoned, got free, came to her event. Corey Ten Boom learned a lesson about forgiveness that I am not worthy to tell the story of. So I want you to hear from Corey Ten Boom about how God taught her how to forgive. Check it out. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Boom, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man. That was one of the most cruel officers, guards, in the concentration, concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world. Also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No, I can't either. But he can. I've been listening to that all day and I just can't get over it. Can we forgive? No, but he can and he lives within us and he can set us free and I don't know what your story is and I respect your story and I'm not minimizing your story, but I am inviting you out of the prison cell. I'm inviting you out into the light and as your brother, I hope you'll take those steps, whatever they look like for you that you'll take those steps. We have been forgiven much. May we forgive much. We have been loved much. May we love much. Jesus, thank you for our day in your word today. Thank you for 
all that we've heard, and I pray that we can live it. I pray that by your power, we can do the impossible. And in doing so, be set free by you, Jesus, and your power. Thank you for giving us. Give us the power to forgive others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.